For our text this morning, we'll look at 1 Peter chapter 5, and we'll read verse, two verses. <clears throat> 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and verses 9. It says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion walketh about, seeking whom he may devour, whom resists steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. You know, probably won't come as any surprise to anyone here to hear that we have an enemy. If you weren't aware of that, you are now. The Word of God tells us we have an enemy. He tells us who that enemy is. He says, our adversary the devil, you know, when you think of the devil or an adversary, uh, most often as a Christian, we think of Satan as being an adversary to the child of God or an enemy to God's children, and that's certainly true, but Satan is also an adversary to the sinner. Satan is not interested in taking any prisoners. No, ultimately he may enslave people for a while, but his goal is to destroy to destroy and to devour the bible makes that very clear it describes satan as that roaring lion sneaking about seeking whom he may devour if you've ever watched the footage of a lion as it stalks its prey it will follow that herd sometimes for days and it will hide out in those shadows and in those bushes and it will look for one that is vulnerable or weak or maybe separated from that flock or that herd and it will wait until the opportune time to attack. And that's often how Satan operates. He will prey on those that are weak and vulnerable. He will take advantage of those times when people are maybe susceptible. But you know, we have a tremendous advantage over Satan. As Christians especially, we have an advantage over the devil. Second Corinthians 2.11 says, Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. You know, the best way to win a battle or a victory is to know what the enemy's plan is ahead of time. To know what kind of tactics he's going to employ. And we have that advantage in God's word. Satan does not have that advantage. The devil doesn't have any foreknowledge. The, the devil doesn't know how the Lord is going to work or undertake, how we can recognize and know what his tactics are ahead of time. With God's help, we can use that knowledge to defeat the enemy. I thought of some of those tactics that Satan uses. Actually, there's really only three, and we'll look at those this morning. He uses fear and intimidation. He uses discouragement. And he uses temptation. You know, his arsenal is not that big. He employs those same tactics time and time again. And if we can recognize them ahead of time, we'll be uh, far ahead in our battle against the enemy. You know, Satan is uh, hes the master of psychological warfare. He really is. He's the originator of it. Often the devil would like to make the child of God or the Christian feel like they're surrounded and outnumbered. And I thought of that account that Brother Darrell read 
about Jonathan and his armor bearer, you consider the condition of the situation that the children of Israel found themselves in. Again, they were surrounded by the enemy. That This time it happened to be the Philistines. But often, as you read throughout the history of the children of Israel, they found themselves in this place time and time again, cowering in fear, running from the enemy, right where the enemy wanted them to be. They certainly were outnumbered. We read of the condition that they were actually in in the previous chapter there in 1 Samuel 13, verse 22. It says, So it came to pass in the day of battle that there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people that were with Saul and Jonathan, but with Saul and with Jonathan, his son was there found. So they didn't even have any weapons. They were outnumbered. They had... Uh, a few of them had taken some old farm equipment, tried to fashion those into some kind of makeshift weapons, but they were completely outnumbered and surrounded. Of course, we know it was a result of sin and disobedience. Saul was fearful. The, fall of the people followed his example. But, you know, in the midst of all of that, I'm thankful for examples like Jonathan and his armor bearer. You know... Jonathan realized this wasn't what God had in mind for his people. The Lord doesn't want his people to cower in fear. He says we're to put the enemy to flight, not to be the ones that are being pursued, but to uh, be the ones that will pursue and conquer the enemy. And I love what he told his armor bearer. He says there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. There's no restraint There is no limitation on God's power to save by many or by few. God doesn't need a big army to win a battle or a victory. God doesn't need anybody. Actually, he chooses to use us sometimes, but uh, really, God can conquer with just a few. Those that are willing to step out in faith and obedience, there's no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. So, you know, Jonathan and his armor bearers, they realize this, they asked the Lord for a sign. They said, we'll show ourselves to the Philistines. And if they say, stay where you are, we'll come down to you, then we'll stay put. We'll know that God hasn't delivered them. But if they say, come on up, then we'll know the Lord has delivered them into our hands. So we read as they discover themselves there to the, uh, to the Philistines, they said, come on up, we'll show you a thing or two. Sounds a lot like boasting, doesn't it? That's what the devil does. He's a bully and he boasts, but they knew that was a sign from the Lord. So it says they crawled up on the on their hands and on their feet and they began to slay the enemy. You know, they had received a promise from God, but it takes some effort sometimes. We can receive promises out of God's word, but we must make the effort to see those promises fulfilled. They had to crawl up on their hands and their feet, but they were willing to step out in faith and the Lord Gave him a wonderful victory. There's no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. You think about Gideon and his band of 300 men. They defeated the army of the Midianites. One commentary said from a military perspective, the odds of them winning that battle were about 450 to 1. Not in their favor. But because God was on their side, God gave them a wonderful victory. They didn't even have any weapons. Yet God gave them a victory because they refused to be intimidated by the enemy. The three Hebrew children, again, 
Three men out of an entire nation that refused to bow to that idol there. And uh, certainly they were outnumbered, but we know as they were given an opportunity to even reconsider, they told the king, we're not even careful to answer you in this manner. They stood their ground. And of course, we know the results. God gave a wonderful victory, turned that whole nation around that day because three men chose to stand firm in their faith and not to be defeated by fear. Think of David as he faced Goliath, the rest of the army of the Israelites cowering in fear. And one young man, a shepherd boy, wasn't even a trained soldier, but he went out. He had a secret weapon. Of course, it wasn't so secret because he told Goliath, he says, you come to me with a sword and a spear, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. And God gave him a victory. You know, God will give you the victory. When God is on your side, God guarantees you victory. You know, even if you've been called, if you've been saved, you've been called and chosen. Even if you're the only one, the Lord will give you victory. You may be the only one in your family that's serving the Lord. Maybe you're the only one uh, in school or in your place of employment. Maybe you're the only one on that college campus that's serving the Lord, but God has guaranteed you The victory, we have some wonderful promises in God's word. We look at Isaiah chapter 41, verse 9 and 10. It says, Thou whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called thee from the chief men thereof and said unto thee, Thou art my servant, I have chosen thee and not cast thee away. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Fear not, be not dismayed. God will strengthen you, he'll help you, he'll uphold you with the right hand of his righteousness. What a wonderful promise. That's to the individual. Psalm 3, verses 4 and 6. It says, I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and he heard me out of his holy hill. I laid me down and slept. I awaked, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people that have set themselves against me round about. The Lord can give you victory. Even if you feel like you're alone, you're not alone. You have God on your side. God will give you the victory. You don't have to give in to fear and intimidation. Think of another tactic the enemy uses, the tactic of discouragement. You know, the devil would like to use that on Christians as well as sinners. Think of the backslider. Maybe that one who's walked away from the Lord. They've turned their back on the Lord and they've uh, gone their own way. Oftentimes the Spirit of the Lord, as it begins to deal with that person, maybe you're in that condition today. Maybe you're in a backslidden condition. And so often, what does the devil do? He'll come along and he'll tell that person, you know, you've gone too far. You just turned your back on the Lord too many times. The Lord can never take you back. That's a lie. It's a lie from the devil. No man is beyond the reach of the Lord, no matter how far a person has gone. Think of the story Jesus told of that prodigal son. It said that man, he went to a far country. It was a great ways off. He even joined himself to a citizen of another country. Got as far away from that home as he possibly could. But when he found himself in the middle of that old pig pen said he came to himself. He realized he had sinned against God and against heaven and against his father. And so he was willing to humble himself and repent. 
I could guarantee the old enemy was probably there telling him, you know what? You've shamed your family. You've done too many things. The Lord can never take you back, but he was willing to humble himself. Turn back to the Father. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It said, as he turned back toward home, it says, when he was a great ways off, his father saw him and came running and met him there on that road where he was. That's how the Lord looks at that backslider who's willing to come in repentance. We don't want to, you don't want to be discouraged. If you're in that situa- situation this morning, you can call out to the Lord, turn to him in faith and repentance, humility. God will meet you as you make your way back to the Lord. You know, the devil would love to discourage those that are saved. What's the very first thing the devil told you after you were saved? Probably the very same thing he told me. You're not saved. That wasn't real. Nothing happened. That was just an emotion. You know, the devil's a liar. And he's a father of all lies. He's the accuser of the brethren. Consider this. Why would the devil try to convince you of something that wasn't real if it wasn't real? The devil has no problem with a false profession. The devil has no issue with people saying they're saved that aren't saved. He has no problem with the sinning Christian because there is no such thing. But he hates the genuine, the real experience of salvation. And he will tell you you're not saved. But you know what? The devil's a liar. I thought of a testimony I heard of Brother Alan Crabtree. You know, sometimes you think of these old worthies of old and these old saints of God and you think they must have never had temptations like that. Well, it's not the case. Brother Alan Crabtree told about after uh, the Lord had convicted him and he said he went out in the woods one day to pray and as he got down there by a stump of wood, he began to call out to the Lord and pour his heart out to the Lord and he said uh, he prayed through to real salvation, to victory. He said as soon as he got up from that place of prayer and he stepped back out onto that trail... The old devil was there to tell him, you know what? You didn't get saved. And he said, oh, yes, I did. He said he didn't get a few steps down the road. And the devil said, well, you'll never keep it. So he said, aha, so you admit, I got it. He knew he had gotten it. He'd gotten the victory. The devil told me you'll never keep it. But you know what? Day by day, as we depend on the Lord, as we turn to the Lord for help and strength, God will help us. We don't need to be discouraged Oftentimes, the devil will try to discourage us. Maybe our prayers aren't answered right away. Maybe you've been seeking for a deeper experience or maybe you're in the midst of a difficult circumstance and you've prayed and maybe it's been days, weeks, even years, and the devil will come along and say, why do you keep praying about that? The Lord's not hearing your prayer. Listen, that is a lie from the devil. I remember hearing the testimony of a woman who prayed for her unsaved husband for for 30 years. 30 years she prayed for him. She'd gotten a promise that the Lord would save him one day. And no doubt over that course of time, so many times the devil would tell her, the Lord hasn't heard your prayers. But one day as that man faced emergency surgery, something happened and didn't know if he would even live through that surgery. But later he told his wife as they were taking him into that emergency room to operate, he cried out to the Lord and God saved him. Right there on that hospital gurney, the Lord is merciful. God will hear your prayers. We just need to keep praying, keep seeking, keep persevering. Ask, seek, knock. Don't give up. Don't give in to the discouragement 
when the Lord doesn't hear your prayers right away. Jesus told us a story in the book of Luke, chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. This is the story of the widow and the unjust judge. So there was a widow in a certain city, and she came to this judge. He said he was a man he didn't fear God nor regard man. He was unjust. He was unfair. But she wanted him to avenge her of her enemies. For a while, it said he wouldn't hear her, but because she kept coming back, kept continually bothering him and bringing her petition before the judge. Finally, he said, because she troubled me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Well, Jesus told that story for a reason. In Luke 18, the very first verse, it says, And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. That was the point. You keep coming, you keep asking, you keep making your petitions known. It said here, Hear what the unjust judge saith. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. He said, hear what the unjust judge saith. He said, because this woman continually wearies me, I'll answer her petition. How much more does our heavenly Father, the God of heaven, the creator of the heavens and earth, he'll move heaven and earth to answer our prayers if we'll just persevere and persist in faith. You know, when you ask God for something more than once, maybe the devil will come along and say, if you had faith, you wouldn't keep asking the Lord for that. But you know what? That's not a lack of faith. That's a show of faith. We keep coming back to the Lord again and again saying, Lord, please meet my needs. I'm looking to you. I'm depending upon you for answers. And the Lord will honor that faith. That's the kind of faith he's looking for when he comes back to this old earth. You know, we can apply this parable to our own lives. You know, unless God says no, or unless we're praying outside of his will, we can keep praying and keep asking, keep seeking. The Bible says this is the confidence that we have that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if he hears us, we know that we'll have the petitions that we desired of him. Keep praying, keep knocking, keep seeking. It may be this very day that the Lord answers that prayer for you. Psalm twenty-four, fourteen says, Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. So we don't want to give in to discouragement. One thing that's very important that we want to recognize, we don't want to confuse discouragement with conviction. There's a difference. If the Lord is convicting you about a spiritual need in your life, that problem shouldn't be ignored or suppressed or called anything else but it, what it is. But if you're serving the Lord with all your heart, if you're doing everything you can, and that devil brings along discouragement, recognize it for what it is. And you can do something about it. You can look to the Lord. God will help you and encourage you. The last tactic... Temptation. You know, temptation, there's a few things we know about that. That's the oldest trick in the book. The devil used that on Adam and Eve, clear back in the Garden of Eden there. When he came and he tempted them to disobey God, 
We need to understand, though, that temptation is not sin. So often, if you're tempted, the very first thing the devil will do is he'll come along and say, you're not saved. If you were saved, you wouldn't have had that temptation or that thought. But we know temptation is not sin. Adam and Eve were not sinning as they were being tempted in the garden. Matter of fact, we know their spiritual condition. They were pure, morally pure. They were created in God's own image and likeness. So they weren't sinning as they were being tempted. We know it was when they chose to yield to that temptation, to give in to that sin. That's when temptation becomes a sin. We also know that temptation is always from the devil. It's never from the Lord. The Bible says, uh, says, let no, no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. God can't be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. So we know, we recognize those temptations to do wrong, to disobey, those things are from Satan, and we can recognize it for what it is. What do we do with those thoughts when the devil puts those things in our mind? Well, the Word of God gives us some instruction. 2 Corinthians 10, 5 says, Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. We can cast down those imaginations. We can bring those things under Christ's control. You know, there's an old saying that says you can't keep the birds from flying around your head, but you can keep them from making a nest in your hair. It's the truth. It's the same thing with temptation. We can't keep temptation from coming, but we certainly don't have to entertain those thoughts. We don't have to mull those things around in our mind. We can plead the blood of Jesus, look to the Lord for victory. Philippians 4.8 gives us a whole list of things we can do with our minds. It says, Whatsoever things are true and honest or just or pure, whatsoever things are lovely or of good report, if there's any virtue or any praise, Think on these things. So there we have some weapons to combat the temptations of the enemy. You know, I think the greatest example of overcoming temptation is in Christ himself. We know in Matthew chapter 4, tells us that uh, Jesus is led of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. It said as he was there fasting 40 days and 40 nights, Satan came along and he told him, if they'll be the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. You see a pattern here? The devil attacked Jesus when he was the most weak, most vulnerable, just like that roaring lion. But I love what Jesus did in response. He simply used the word of God against the devil. He said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. You know, he didn't parlay with the devil. He didn't have a conversation. He simply used the word of God against the devil. A few verses later, again, Satan came to him and said, you know, if you cast yourself off the pinnacle of the temple, the Lord will give his angels charge over you. Again, what did Jesus do? He didn't get into a long dialogue. He simply said, it is written, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Use the word of God against the devil. Just a few verses later, Satan came and told Jesus, if you would bow down and worship him, you'd give him all the kingdoms of the world. And again, Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. It is written. It is written. Thou shalt not worship. Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. You know, Jesus used the word of God against the devil. 
We have that very same source available to us. We can do the same thing Jesus did. When Satan comes along and tempts you, just use the Word of God against him. It's an effective, effective tool. Jesus himself set the example for us. The Word of God says that uh, that the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. So we can see we have an invaluable weapon here against Satan. It's in God's word. That's why the psalmist said, that word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against thee. So we have God's word as a source of strength against temptation. We know after a while it says that the devil left them and the angels came and ministered unto him. One thing we see about that old enemy is not going to quit after the first time. He may be coming back again and again, but each time he does, we can simply do what Jesus did and use the word of God against him. You know, in closing, the Lord gives us another set of instructions in the book of Ephesians chapter 6, verses 11 and 13. It says, put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And again, in verse 13, it says, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. You know, when you join the military, you're issued a certain standard set of equipment. What they give you is not optional. They expect you to take that armor, that equipment that's been bought and paid for, and they expect you to take it and to use it. No soldier, uh, a rational soldier, would think about going into battle without all of their armor on. Well, it's the same thing spiritually. You know, the Lord has provided us with armor, been bought and paid for by Christ's own blood, but He tells us to put it on and to take it unto ourselves. Why do we need to do it? Well, it tells us right there that we may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Don't fool yourself in ever thinking you can resist the devil on your own. You cannot. He will devour you. But God gives us an armor. He gives us armor. He gives us equipment that we can put on and withstand. You know, there's only one way to put it on. We know it's through prayer. No one was ever saved or ever will be saved without praying. Without praying a prayer of repentance and surrender, we must pray to be saved. No one was ever sanctified without praying a prayer of consecration. No one was ever filled with the power of the Holy Spirit without praying and seeking for that experience. This is all part of our armor. God makes it available, but it's up to us. It's our responsibility to put it on. It's what will sustain us, but you know what? It will also keep us and help us to remain standing. It says, after we've done this, having done all, then we're to stand. We can stand until Jesus returns. You know, one day this battle will be over. One day we can lay our armor down, but for now, we're called to fight. But thank God the Lord has given us every provision. The Lord has promised us victory. It tells us that we are more than conquerors. Through him that loved us. Aren't you thankful for that? Whatever you need this morning, God can help you. If you need victory, the Lord will give you victory. If you need to be saved, just pour out your heart to the Lord. The Lord will save you, sanctify you, fill you with the Spirit. He'll equip you for the battle ahead. One day, uh, when the Lord returns, we want to be found as faithful soldiers. God can help us to do that. God can help you this very day. May the Lord bless you. 
Let's come and seek the Lord. The song is 657. These altars are open.